Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It feels like Groundhog Day in England as Man City and Liverpool face off for a second straight week, this time in the FA Cup semi-finals. While on the other side of the bracket, Chelsea look to pick itself up again against Crystal Palace for its last chance of silverware of the season. And across the channel and continental Europe, we have must-watch matchups aplenty with a derby de Lisboa, Le Classique, Sevilla against Real Madrid and Ten Hag's Ajax squaring off against their topper rivals, PSV James Bench. Jonathan Johnson are here to help me digest it all. The Kegolasso weekend preview begins right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kegolasso, youtube.com forward slash Que golazo, que golazo pod on Twitter, etc. Thank you so much for being part of the family. And we are here as part of our weekend preview. Jonathan Johnson and James Bench. Jonathan Johnson, how are you, buddy? Doing well, thanks, guys. Uh, really looking forward to this weekend's games and a bit of time off. Obviously, the Easter holidays coming up for us here. Absolutely. James Bench, how are you, sir? Time off? Time off for no man when Manchester City are playing Liverpool every week of my life. Although I do, I mean, I have to say, you say it feels like Groundhog Day. Last week I had to drive an hour to get a three-hour train to get up to Manchester. This week, Wembley Stadium, it's a 20-minute train. I, I'll be there in like no time at all. This is perfect. Can we have every game at Wembley to suit my specific needs? No rest for the wicked, James <laughs> Benj. And I, I don't know. We'll have to try and see if the schedule fits James Benj. Every time James Benj goes on vacation, by the way, something happens that he has to go back to work. Huh? Yeah, I'm just um, not even bothering anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised. Yeah, just, you know. I don't know. It, it's a lot. It's a lot. But hey, welcome, everybody. Our weekend preview, a lot of action to discuss. As James Payne said, when isn't there a lot of action to discuss? We begin, by the way, with some sad news. I just wanted to race it up. I felt it was important to do it in a weekend preview hosted by a South American and how much he meant to South American and Colombia. Freddy Rincon died in a tragic accident uh, in Cali. Just, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the you know, all the information regarding the accident it was horrible. It was tragic. You can read it all about it on CBS Sports. I just wanted to take this moment for, I don't know the size of our fan base and how young they are, but you should know that in the 90s, Colombia was ridiculous. They had a golden generation of stars, René Higuita, Pibe Valerrama, Faustino Aspria, and this man right here, Freddy Rincón, who went to three World Cups, 1919, 94, 98. The 1991, by the way, uh, Colombia playing West Germany. They were down one nothing. Stoppage time. They get an equalizer, courtesy of this man. It's a beautiful goal. One of the best goals in World Cup history, by the way. And that basically sealed their next phase after that. And it was amazing. It was such a historic moment that in Disney's Encanto, they did it. Bruno is watching uh, the mice are recreating this goal. That's just how much he meant, this team meant to Colombia. Freya Rincón played for more than 10 clubs. He was the, you know, for younger generation fans, you know, kind of like a creative Roy Keane, like everybody, everything in the midfield started and ended with him. And he was so 
creative. He played for Napoli, Real Madrid as well. And part of the Colombian team that destroyed Argentina 5-0 to get to the USA World Cup in 1994. Never had Argentina lost on home soil and that much of a margin. And Freddy Rincón scored two goals in that one. So I want to salute everybody. Rest in peace. Descanse en paz, Freddy Rincón. Thank you so much. And make sure to read the content. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's move on here. FA Cup semifinals. James Bench, uh, you've been traveling all over the place. Uh, and once again, it's your favorite matchup. Or maybe it isn't. I don't know. Man City against Liverpool. It. Talk to me about this one. Um, I mean, how can you not be a buzz after what we saw last week? One of the best games of football I've been able to witness in the flesh in a very, very long time. I think one of the best just for a TV audience, for a worldwide audience. And the intriguing thing is it, it could be better. One could argue that the stakes are higher. What we have right now is one team going for an unprecedented quadruple in Liverpool and then Manchester City going for just your bog standard treble. And we should say this is the treble. So, you know, League Cup, Champions League, Premier League, it's a treble. The treble is the FA Cup. That's the one that Manchester United won in 1999. And you kind of have to say that the winners of this will be in a great position. To go, and, to go and do it all. So in many ways, the stakes are even higher than a Premier League game that we were rightly saying was one of the biggest we'd seen in in years. Um, the football, I think, could well be better because as, as Klopp said today, Liverpool have gears and Liverpool have players that could perform a lot better than they did last, last week. Obviously for City, we've got question marks over Kevin De Bruyne and, and Kyle Walker waiting to find out the latest on them and, and should find out on Friday. But even if, you know, even if they're out, I think it kind of only adds to the, the tactical intrigue. This game will definitely change, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's fantastic. This is uh, an Easter treat, you know, and one that for once an Easter treat that doesn't uh, end up with you struggling to fit into your jeans a week later. Wow. How long have you been working on that one? James? <laughs> Tell me. A while. <laughs> Oh, you know what? I think uh, I think it's been perfect preparation for City as well because they'll actually be able to play some football against Liverpool, unlike their midweek Champions League clash with Atletico Madrid, which sort of descended almost into like WrestleMania. I don't know, like forty six or whatever it's on now. It's uh, I mean, really, it's it's hugely exciting when you have clashes, you know, of this uh, caliber. So to have two, uh, you know, in in successive weeks is uh, is obviously something special for the European footballing community. So no doubt, you know, all eyes will be on that clash at Wembley, which you know, we all know James is delighted about for the for, for the venue. Uh, and uh, you know, I think as well, uh, it's. I mean, yeah, I, I get I get James's point uh, about sort of the differentiation between the trebles, whether it's a proper treble, uh, you know, if you if you don't win the FA Cup or if it's just the League Cup, but you know, it's 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 a huge domestic cup, you know, one of the one of the biggest on the on the continent. So it's you know, I think it's something that we're all looking forward to here. Yeah. And certainly one that that Pep Guardiola has has had great success in and Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool historically haven't and I think it kind of you can tell and you could certainly tell in the AFL Cup final that the winning at Wembley kind of meant more to Klopp than, than we might think you know he has achieved so much whether it's adding that that another Champions League title and obviously he will never I don't think achieve even if he, barring that quadruple I can't think he would ever achieve anything quite as significant as ending the drought. And you could even argue that if he goes and wins the tra the quadruple, it's still not quite going to carry the emotional magnitude and heft 
of the uh, uh, of of the the first title in thirty years. I think kind of looking at, at the action on the pitch, one thing I'm really intrigued about. I was just going through the numbers here. In general, most games, Manchester City play about six percent of their passes long. You know, you're talking goal kicks. You're talking when the pass is on. Against Liverpool, that doubles the two highest games they've had in terms of long passes, around 12% are the two against Liverpool. Now, they're going to obviously look to spring, whether it's Sterling, Mares, Foden, whoever, into that space in behind the fullbacks, Trent Alexander-Arnold and, um, and, and Andrew Robertson. What's intriguing there is that Liverpool could counter that, but they also kind of shouldn't. Again, Klopp was talking about how... The Liverpool, uh, the, he thinks that Guardiola instructs sit, the City fullbacks to just stay back, not pass the halfway line, and protect against those counters. But if Liverpool do that, they lose a lot of their attacking thrust. You know, you need Alexander Arnold and Robertson. Is that how City win it again? I mean, they were the better team last week. I don't really know because equally, if Salah plays better, if Fabinho plays better, why why can't Liverpool win this? I mean, also as well, we're talking about you know how much. You know, we might have seen taken out of both of these sides given their midweek exertions. You know, Liverpool, Benfica, crazy six-goal encounter at at Anfield, and uh, you know, Man City really, really, uh, you know, put through the ringer by Atletico Madrid physically. Uh, like James said, you know, question marks over De Bruyne and, and Walker. Uh, you know, we're all praying for Jack Grealish's hair as well after Savage got a bit <laughs> savage with him. So. You know, there, there there are question marks there about how much intensity, I guess, you know, both sides are going to be able to put into this because you, you do hope that it's a, a game that they can go, you know, absolutely full pelt at and give us, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of footballing feast that we're really expecting this weekend. Yeah, it will be intense. I mean, maybe it might not begin like that. Maybe first minute, they're feeling each other out. But the more it gets to it, you know, the atmosphere, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp going on the touchline, I, you would imagine. So it's interesting the statistics you pull out James Bench because you know when you think about this game and by the way obviously as you look at the Champions League bracket we are expecting we're expecting obviously uh, you know Villarreal nobody expected them here but at the very least on paper it seems that Man City and Liverpool will face each other again in the Champions League in terms of this matchup itself Kevin De Bruyne's absence if it happens is pretty big because I think that Man City did enough at least from a De Bruyne perspective, to win the game, I think, uh, in that in that draw. And I think that without him, they have a lot of talent, of course. It's just that De Bruyne is so special when it comes to handing it to you on a plate. And, you know, that we had Maris miss, I'm thinking yeah. specifically, right? That was a big moment. So who would you say, just a quick prediction in this game, you know, in the FA Cup, obviously there's a lot of other things going on, but now they don't really have the added headache of thinking about the Champions League the following week, though Liverpool has a midweek game after that, right? So there's a, still a lot to play for. But who would you predict here, James Bench, and then JJ, you jump in. What do you think is going to happen? So I, I I lean towards City. As you say, De Bruyne is a big loss, but Bernardo Silva would be the yeah. logical replacement. That's quite good. Phil Foden too, Jack Grealish. Yeah, not bad. Um, I would just sort of make them slight favourites. But, oh, God. I don't... I think it's going all the way. I think we're getting two hours of football. We're getting Um, penalties. Maybe we get penalties. Maybe that's my prediction. Penalties and City win. Yeah, that's my prediction. I think it's going to penalties. JJ? 
Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting one. I mean, I I, I agree with James. Uh, you know, I do think that City perhaps shade it, uh, and it it really does depend on who Guardiola goes for. Uh, you know, in terms of looking to, to to replace De Bruyne, assuming that he he has to do without him. Uh, you know, like James said, we're still waiting for that uh, confirmation. I mean. It, it is a really tough one to call. I think it's going to be very tight. Um, but for the sake of keeping it exciting, I'm going to say that Liverpool pull off a marginal uh, surprise, uh, you know, and come away victors here. Yeah, well, there you go. We will see. Well, in the other side, by the way, of this FA Cup semi-final moment here, London Derby is Chelsea and Crystal Palace faced each other. Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace, uh, one of the most probably undertold stories in the Premier League this season, fair to say, maybe. I, I mean, you know, they've done pretty well under Patrick Vieira and Chelsea, trying to pick themselves up again after a very good performance against Real Madrid, but in the end it didn't work out. James Bench, thoughts on this game as uh, Chelsea and Palace face each other? Well, one of the things I kind of like as a, a storyline bubbling under the surface is, and I don't know if they'll be in the in the Royal Box or if they'll be in attendance, but you'll have two uh, people there on the Crystal Palace side in, in Josh Harris and David Blitzer, who uh, are currently vying to be the new owners of, of Chelsea. Their bid will have, final bid will have been submitted by then and it will be being considered by Rain. I mean, I should say that there's no great ill will from within the, the Palace ownership they understand that that Harris and Blitzer see this as an opportunity they couldn't turn down. And, um, you know, I've reported before, if they get it, everything will be sorted at Palace very quickly. But it's it's curious. I think it's it's one of these sort of numerous reminders we have across Europe of how <laughs> how you can never quite focus on, on actions on the pitch. As for the stuff on the pitch, I mean, you, you're right, Luis, that we haven't talked enough about Crystal Palace, that they're a fantastic opponent for big teams Arsenal Tottenham Man City they've all seen that huge intensity they will miss Conor Gallagher who can't play uh, due to the terms of his loan I think that that's a shame um, because there are so few players like Conor Gallagher he's the sort of player that will end up with as many tackles as passes and as many shots as passes he just runs around a lot and throws himself into the game um, that's irreplaceable uh, but you know Wolf Zaha uh, odds on Edwards. There's some real match with uh, John Philippe Mateta, who's on fantastic form. There's match. And the thing is, the Palace. thing about Palace bench is that they're collectively so good. Like together, off the ball, Vieira has made them into a very difficult side to sort of break. I mean, you're going to score against them, of course, but it's just you know the response after conceding or whatever. They're they're very good collectively as a team. But a lot of that does come from Gallagher. They're a yeah. physical team. They're an aggressive team that will. Mm-hmm. That, that can very quickly switch between dropping deep and pressing you high up the pitch. You can't that you just can't do that without Gallagher because they don't they don't have comparable players. You know, it'll be someone like James MacArthur, I would assume, coming in. Yeah. Just not on that level. Like yeah, no bells and whistles. Yeah. Yeah. Um equally that's not me. This is not me discounting Palace. It's just probably me saying that that I think they will have to change and maybe be a bit more conservative. And you might see something which they know very well from their time with Roy Hodgson of let's sit deep. Let's hit Chelsea on the counter. It's it's worked before, but I tell you, has a great record, by the way, against Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. Your boy Christian Pulisic. Yep. Well, it's not my boy. Definitely not my boy. No, he's not. He's no one's boy. He's nobody's boy here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're not in soccer. We trust. <laughs> Jonathan Johnson, thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really happy to see Crystal Palace get this far, and I'm happy because uh, you know I'm glad that 
we weren't kind of wrong about Patrick Vieira uh, and the promising start he made to his managerial career. It went a bit sour towards the end of his time with Nice. Uh, you know, it was kind of handed out to the club by the supporters, but there was always a risk that things were going to go wrong with Nice after the ownership changed once he was in place. Uh, and I think that Vieira has shown himself, uh, you know, worthy of the of, of the challenge that he was handed at Crystal Palace. He's done better than I think many people expected him to do. Really, uh, you know, raised it or repaired his uh, managerial stock, which was yeah. fairly high uh, after he arrived in Europe from uh, NYCFC. Uh, you know, and I think for him to get this far, uh, you know, in a in a domestic cup is a is a, is a big achievement. Uh, like you said, uh, you know, Gallagher is going to be a big loss for them. But you know, I still think you know, if managed to keep it tight, obviously Chelsea are going to be the big favourites here. Um, you know, go toe to toe with them for the majority of the game. Uh, you know, and that is another uh, you know good achievement for Vieira in his uh, debut season as a Premier League coach. Yeah, I'm gonna give this. Uh, I'm gonna go straight into predictions here. I I think Palace is winning this. <laughs> I'm just gonna gamble on that one. I, I mean, obviously it's against conventional wisdom, and you would think that Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel need a trophy, want a trophy, but you know, you know, I'll play the odds. I'll, I'll go with the Palace when uh, James Ben shaking his head. No, yeah, I think Chelsea are have, have rounded into some form since that Real Madrid game, so I, mm. I fancy them to maybe edge this two 0 all right, Jonathan Johnson. Uh, I'm going to go for Chelsea two one. All right, well there you go, there you have it, and that's your FA Cup semi finals. Let's look a little bit of the Premier League because there is Premier League action. Manchester United against Norwich. By the way, uh, how do you see? And there's some other fixtures as well. I believe uh, Des Norris can put them up later as well. But in terms of the Premier League, you know it's. Now or never for Norwich, I guess. So I guess it's been the case as a while. And what, what does Manchester United have to do here? Let's, uh, James Bench, seventh. I mean, clearly the Champions League is out of the question. Yeah. But they're even on points with West Ham on 51, you know, for that sixth spot, the Conference League, the, the ever coveted Conference League. Uh, how do you see this, man? Are they just waiting for Ten Hag, basically? Is that it? I mean, that's, that's the impression they gave against Everton. I, I mean, it's fair to say that unless you are right, Luis, and Crystal Palace go on to beat, not just um, not just beat Chelsea, but then go and beat the winners of Man City-Liverpool, then uh, sixth should become a, another Europa League spot, I believe. And then yeah, seventh goes to, the, That's right. yep. goes to the Conference League. I'm sure Manchester United would be a little bit keener to play Europa League. I don't know. Maybe you actually argue the best thing to do is just tank out of Europe entirely. Um, I'm more intrigued by... Uh, what's interesting is you kind of have that sixth, seventh battle between West Ham and, uh, and Man United, whilst at the same time Norwich are looking to push their way up. Burnley, who who they beat uh, away to, to West Ham. That's a couple of intriguing games there where, where teams that really need to start picking up points. And I'm, I'm still not yet 100% counting Norwich out. I mean, we're talking the greatest of great escapes, but... You never know. I thought they were great against Burnley. I was watching that on Sunday, and I thought they had that they really played without fear. Sometimes that's what you need, and I think Manchester United give every impression that they just don't care anymore until Ten Hag gets there. Norwich care a lot, so I quite like them to get something out of this game. Yeah, I mean, I think we were speaking about it last week, but uh, going ahead to the Everton match, you know, really. If the players, the United players decide to play, then yeah, uh, you know, the chances are they're going to get a result. But if they don't fancy it, like you said, you know, if they're not applying themselves, then, you know, I think 
all of the teams scrapping for the points will fancy themselves uh, against them. I mean, it's a very dangerous point of the season, this, when you come up against teams fighting, uh, you know, for, for survival points at the bottom. You know, as we've seen, you know, sort of anyone can pick up points from anywhere uh, pretty much at this stage of the season. Uh, and quite often, uh, those relegation places will be decided by when those teams uh, competing to avoid the drop uh, come up against each other, like, uh, you know, Everton against Burnley just the other day. Yeah, the emotional aspect of us, uh, at least JJ and I, want to see Dean Smith do some good things here with Norwich, but Norwich need to get it together. Oh, yeah, right? and, ju- and just grateful that Villa aren't uh, quite involved in it this time. God, we're, yeah. uh, well, we're not involved, but we're not, but I, you know, <laughs> we're not, we're not. I'm not going to say anything, and Benj, I know you're about to give me some <laughs> but Yeah, just be quiet. I'm going to mute you. But yes, I don't like it, because, you know, I just want to pick up some points. It's getting a little dreary, but the relegation just battle... I just want to win a game and score some yeah, goals. Exactly. Not asking for much. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. But anyway, uh, here are the remaining, well, the fixtures this weekend. Tottenham and Brighton open up Saturday early kickoff. We talked to United Norwich, Watford against Brentford, who, by the way, Brentford doing some good stuff there. Southampton hosting Arsenal, Wolves, Man City was postponed due to obviously the FA Cup, but Newcastle host Leicester City and Benj mentioning, mentioning, of course, Burnley strip away to West Ham. Anything in particular there? James, quick question. How do you feel about Tottenham's chances of the Champions League at this point right now and Arsenal three points behind though they still have a game in hand the North London probably seems very important right now <sighs> yeah I still don't I mean it's incredibly unlikely it's bizarre that that this is in Arsenal's hands despite mm. the, the the real wobble because you know in the end you know I was at that Brighton game for my own enjoyment and I got none of it <laughs> uh, it was a woeful performance and you know no left back um you know, they don't seem losing Thomas Partey and losing Kieran Tierney was massive. And I think if they had still been fit, even maybe if the results had been like this, I'd be talking more favorably about Arsenal. But the whole system has fallen apart. Playing Granite Jacker at left back was a disaster. Um, and he's he's kind of Arteta's pretty much nuked Nuno Tavares' confidence in doing so. And then you compare that to to Tottenham, who have has slipped into a really comfortable groove. Dejan Kulisevsky, what a signing. Same you could say about Rodrigo Bentancur. Um, losing Matt Doherty, bizarrely, could be an issue because so much of their attacking quality comes from the wing-backs and he's been excellent. Yeah. But like, there's a difference between losing one valuable wing-back and in the case of Arsenal, losing Partey, your most important player, and Kieran Tierney, who you clearly don't think you have a replacement for. So... It looks like it's slipping away. Arsenal need a miracle and they probably need Brighton to do them a favour this weekend. I think as well, when we're talking about Spurs uh, looking in uh, at that Champions League race, it I, I just think back to sort of like a month or so ago, a month, two months ago, where we were talking about the frustrations that Antonio Conte was facing with, uh, you know, this Spurs challenge and almost needing to get to the summer in order to really, you know, stamp his mark on this squad. Uh, and it just feels like that ground that they, you know, that they lost, it could still come back to, 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 to yeah. haunt them. I mean, like James said, a lot of it still is in Arsenal's hands. Yes. Uh, you know, but if if Tottenham do end up just slipping out of it, I think they will definitely look back, uh, you know, on some of those, unexpected uh, losses uh, in, early in Antonio Conte's reign, uh, you know, which has potentially cost them that place in uh, the Champions League. 
Yeah, I mean, I mentioned the North London derby, but Liverpool still, I mean, Tottenham still has to play Liverpool as well. And then depending how desperate the relegation battlers are, they still got to play those two as well. And then from Arsenal's perspective, I don't even know. Man United next week. Yeah, there you go. I mean, equally, you know, say you won those two, remarkable shock that it would be. I mean, I think then the momentum that gives you... Yeah, the momentum that beating Chelsea and United would give you would be almost like an extra point. But that's what we're talking We're talking about Arsenal needing something remarkable. I think it's Spurs to lose comfortably. Yeah, at this point, you would think so. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll move to the continent for Serie A. Just some games to watch out for. Sevilla, Real Madrid is very interesting. JJ would give us the lowdown on Le Classique, Paris Saint-Germain against... OM, of course, Leverkusen, Leipzig, some final thoughts. And that will be it. Weekend preview. Kigo Lasso, Jonathan Johnson, James Benj, LME. We'll be right back. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes. You can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Kigolaso, our weekend preview. James Bench, Jonathan Johnson. We've talked the Premier League. We've talked the FA Cup, of course. Let's move to Serie A, which uh, you can watch exclusively on Paramount Plus, of course. No games on Easter Sunday. And Coppa Italia semifinals conclude next week, of course. But, you know, Spezia against Inter on Friday. AC Milan, Genoa as well on Friday. That's uh, later at 3 p.m. Eastern. And Napoli against Roma. That's Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Some really exciting games there, Jonathan Johnson. I presume he's focusing on Napoli, Roma. But all of us here at CBS just keep saying nobody wants to win this thing. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, having Inter going up against Spezia, Spezia are one of those weird teams where they're battling against the drop, yet they seem to manage to pick up points in really unexpected places, normally against some of the, the, the teams higher up the league. And obviously with Thiago Motta, former Inter Milan player as coach, uh, you know, he'll be motivated to try and uh, get the get the victory there. I mean, Napoli, Roma, uh, you know, so much of that is is going to revolve around Spalletti. Uh, you know, obviously has uh, has history with uh, with Roma, so really, really exciting. But yeah, like you said, I mean, it's just there's no clear favorite in this title race. I mean, it could be Inter if they make the most of that game in hand. Uh, you know, but we've seen so many twists and turns already this season. It's it's still a bit too tight to call at this moment in time, but I I would still consider Inter slight favourites just uh, because of that game in hand. First of all, on Serie A, nice to see someone giving a bit of respect to Jesus's, you know, <laughs> big day. Well, it's the it's, Italians, my friend. Yeah, I mean, exactly. come on, if anyone was going to do it, it's like right around the corner. You need to respect it, right? <laughs> Well, you've got to get to mass, haven't you? Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, picking up on what JJ said, I think AC Milan are in a sort of similar conundrum, aren't they? Where they're playing a team fighting against the the drop. I always feel though, and I've got no evidence to back this up or anything like that, but I always feel like if you're going to play these relegation-stricken teams, you want them at your place. You know, Genoa, tough ground to go to, real, you know, really intense atmosphere. But if they're at the San Siro, like... 
that's the sort of game that actually yeah the 12th Milan, man helps the 12th man helps basically yeah and you need to think of that as a, as a banker of a three points um could we even argue that that roma are, um, are slipping into that like there's not that much to play for stage i know that there's a big difference between europa league and conference league and theoretically if if juventus were to wobble then maybe roma could somehow slip into the top four which is remarkable considering how much of the season we've gone oh, i'm not sure i think Mourinho's lost it um but I, again i think that's a, a fairly favorable matchup i think the only thing is that you know that like you never want to be a game with something of heft and emotion on the line you never want your opponent to be jose Mourinho, do you yeah, it's a tough schedule for Roma coming up, though. I mean, Napoli, then they got Inter. Bologna is not easy. Away at Fiorentina, who have proven to be very annoying indeed. I mean, at home to Venezia, it is what it is. And then Torino at the end. But yeah, to your point, I mean, you know, it all depends on how Jose Mourinho sees this with his Roma side. But I mean, with Inter Milan having a game in hand as well, that can maybe help them out. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on here. Sevilla. Real Madrid, I mean, we know uh, Real Madrid recently just achieved after going through despite losing to Chelsea. But hey, Karim Benzema, Luka Modric, etc. And Sevilla, who, you know, for a long period of this season, Jonathan Johnson, we thought, you know, they, they can do the business here. But Barcelona and Xavi came in steamrolling. And now Sevilla's third. They have a game over. Barcelona, uh, Barcelona have a game in hand, of course, but same amount of points. But they're only three points above an Atletico Madrid side who, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what to make for them. You know, they lost to Mallorca for crying out loud. Like, I have no idea. But how do you see this? Can they can they get second? It's tough. I mean, they're hosting Real Madrid. Should be a cracking game regardless. I mean, I do think that they can still get second. Uh, I just... I mean, obviously, so much of that now uh, depends on Barcelona. It's definitely in, uh, you know, Xavi's capable hands. And it doesn't look like they're going to stumble, certainly not in the way that we we kind of predicted them to week in, week out at the beginning of the season when they were really, really struggling under Ronald Koeman. Uh, I think the biggest worry for Sevilla, uh, you know, will be looking at that table and seeing that Betis have managed to whittle that gap between them down to just four points. You know, the mm. possibility of being overtaken by them or caught up by uh, their bitter rivals uh, you know at this stage of the season they will be sweating that I don't think they'll be too worried about Atletico Madrid breathing down their necks unless there is some sort of reaction uh, from Diego Simeone's men after dropping out of the Champions League from what we've seen from them over those two legs against Manchester City. I'm not sure there is going to be. And if there is, it'll probably be more physical than actually in front of goal. But, uh, you know, I think Sevilla definitely do have, uh, you know, the capabilities of sort of still maybe snatching second place or finishing in the top three. But I think, you know, if they are, if they do get beaten by Real, who I'm still really undecided about. I mean, we spoke about it in midweek uh, after the, uh, after the win over Chelsea. And I, I kind of feel like everything I'd been feeling about them uh, around the games against PSG and then coming into the Chelsea one kind of still applies. Um, I'm just waiting to sort of see how, you know, how much further this Real side can go under Ancelotti, especially in the in the Champions League. I still think whatever happens, uh, you know, they're not going to be touched now in La Liga. But, uh, you know, do they sort of still have the hunger to to, to go out and really, uh, you know, put it into to Sevilla this weekend? So, 
We'll see. I, I definitely think Sevilla, you know, still have the the capability and should finish in the top three. But if they do lose to, to Real Madrid this weekend, then perhaps, you know, their their confidence will take a hit. Betis would have the chance to close that gap to three points. And then suddenly the teams outside of the top four uh, are suddenly a lot a lot more close. Yeah. I mean, Sevilla have, have wobbled quite a lot of late, you know, since going out of the Europa League and, and dropping a lot of points. I mean, it's pretty obvious what their issue is 44 goals scored in 31 games i mean you know barcelona have got nine yeah pretty much everyone around them is at 55 plus up to 60 you know they don't have that goal scorer anthony martial has proven not to be it and they'll be packing him off to manchester united he'll be thinking god how have we still got him um equally you know Real Madrid are also not a team that gives up a lot of goals and well except in the champions league but then they have you know, magic on their side. I suppose this feels like one of those games where really it's going to be decided by the individual moments of quality. And I think the argument right now is that there is no one that delivers them on a more consistent basis than Kareem Benzema. I, I, I thought the first, his performance in the first leg against Chelsea, and it's kind of been forgotten a little bit because of the drama and even Luka Modric's excellence in the second leg, but Benzema was phenomenal, I thought, again, in, in the Bernabeu. Mm. I think there's a convincing case to be made that he's the best footballer in the world right now. Certainly, you know, the most decisive, the player you'd want in clutch moments. Um, Lundar favourite, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think as much as we maybe all kind of get into a rush of deciding these awards in, in April... Don't tell don't 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 think that Benzema isn't aware of this, that Benzema isn't thinking about this year as a, a time to rubber stamp his importance, not least because he's got Champions League final in Paris that could well be ahead of him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I, I kind of have this down as a as a game that will be won by Real Madrid's individual quality. And by that I do mean Karim Benzema. <laughs> yeah, and rightly so, of course. By the way, Real Betis have to play Real Sociedad this weekend and they have a Copa the Ray final the following weekend. A lot of good things for Pellegrini's side. I'd like to see them in the Champions League. It'd be it'd be nice to see them. That they, they play. Oh, in in, write, in writing about Villarreal, I sort of dug back into a bit of Pellegrini's time with uh, El yeah. Submarino Amarillo, uh, and I think we all forget as well. He was the coach when Malaga had Malaga. that crazy Champions League outing as well. So he's you a, know he he's a great in, manager, in, man. In, in profile of club, like he yeah. and Emery, that they're, they're almost kind of. You know some of some of the masters in, uh, yeah. in, in that setting. Auteurs, I think. Yeah, absolutely right. All right, let's. Uh, Gent as well, by the way. Um, I remember meeting him when he took over at West Ham. Just, you know, even though that didn't work out. Um, I mean, that's West Ham. One of the most charming, uh, like considerate and just gentlemanly. That I mean, that's that's why they Man City called fans called him this charming man he is an absolute gent and deserves any success that comes his way yeah, big love for here, him. yeah absolutely i agree all right uh jonathan johnson le classique uh, well you know fi- funnily enough uh the trio there is messi neymar and Kylian mbappe are finally like doing a lot on the pitch uh and now they host marseille talk to me about this and marseille's uptick in form by the way because you know they're looking good recently 
Yeah, well, the PSG star trio, uh, you know, getting into form just at the right time of the season, coming into the business end when there's plenty to play for, it's uh, it, it's it's a source of major frustration uh, in Paris. Obviously, the football is great, but it's you expect it to be against, with all due respect, the likes of Lorient, Clermont, teams that are playing to avoid the drop. So, you know, we come into this weekend uh, for Les Classiques, and there's kind of like a weird feeling around it because Le Classique is always the big domestic fixture that everyone looks for on the calendar. Uh, you know, and then you come into it with this sort of weird atmosphere where PSG season is pretty much over. There's nothing really left to play for on the pitch apart from confirmation of this league on title. You know, Marseille, you know, the front runners at the moment to, to qualify behind them uh, for the Champions League. Uh, like you said, uh, you know, they have picked up form recently. Uh, they're buoyed by you know, an evergreen Dimitri Payet, who's in fantastic form. They've got this exciting uh, Europa Conference League run going, which hopefully, uh, you know, will continue after we finish recording this later today on Thursday. Uh, and, you know, this is a massive game for Marseille. I mean, Le Classique is always a big match, but you could argue it. it's huge for Marseille. I mean, it's, it, it's not, I mean, I'm not going to say it's a non-event for PSG, but it's not going to change the course of their season now. They will be crowned Ligue 1 champions. It's just a question of when. But Marseille, they really need these three points. And it would not only be very satisfying for them to get them at Parc des Princes, uh, you know, but also it would take off a little bit of that pressure and could cap a fantastic week if they do progress past Pauk, uh, you know, and have, have made it to the, the semifinals of the Conference League, which would be a fantastic thing uh, for French football. So definitely one to, to tune into if you're a neutral. I mean, certainly I, I will be uh, tuning in, not least to see some Arsenal players of the, the past and future. Uh, Matteo Guendouzi, obviously very much past tense uh, around North London, but it's been fascinating. I, I was always, I was a huge Guendouzi believer. I think he is fantastic, um, but he has an attitude that I think is... Uh, JJ, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, you might say it's well suited to Marseille, uh, a city of of fighters and scoundrels, and <laughs> da- down down to the down to the ground. Like you couldn't, uh, you, th- there are some there, there are some relationships between player and club that are just perfect. And mm-hmm. Guendouzi with Marseille is definitely one of those. Yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's a, I think- he's a nightmare, and he he players like him raise themselves for the biggest game. Uh, I would hope to see the same from Saliba, who, whenever he comes up against Mbappe, has fantastic games. Yeah, and he does. And so, I love Bubakar Kamara as well. It's just, uh, it's just, it's a very good team, and it's gritty, gritty Marseille is what I, I've, I've been to the city a lot, and it's just, you know, they absolutely exemplifies uh, the team and vice versa. Well, another interesting subplot to this as well is how many players in that Marseille squad actually hail from Paris. So you've mm. got kind of got like the they're going to be going back, their family are going to be watching them, family and friends. And, you know, a lot of them grew up sort of either coming through the the, the PSG ranks like Guendouzi, who obviously didn't make it at a professional level, but still, you know, has that past affiliation with the club. Uh, yet, you know, they could pull off, you know, what would be one of the best Marseille seasons in uh, in, in many years. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to Germany very quickly. Just some thoughts here because we got some games as well. Um, Leverkusen against Leipzig, third against fourth. But quick thoughts on Bayern Munich because we're talking about PSG, nothing to play for, Jonathan Johnson. But Bayern Munich, equally, I mean, you know, you've got the Bundesliga. They're leading by nine points over Borussia Dortmund, Leverkusen in third, Leipzig in fourth. What do you make of this first season with Julian Nagelsmann? 
Uh, do you know what? I was really surprised after they crashed out of the Champions League to Villarreal that I think I saw some quotes hinting that basically Thomas Muller is close to a contract extension with Bayern. That surprises me because when I was looking at Bayern sort of picking through the debris of that exit to Villarreal, I started to question whether, uh, you know, there is now an issue perhaps at Bayern with some of these older players, with your Lewandowskis, with your Mullers, uh, with your Neuers, uh, you know, whether they are, you know, perhaps they're at that stage now. And I know that particularly, uh, you know, with Muller, uh, you know, he's also been questioned at international level as well, was obviously dropped out of the, the reckoning with Germany for a while before being brought back into the fold. It almost like when you're a serial winner like that, you know, how much more motivation is there, uh, you know, to just keep going, keep doing the same thing? We saw we saw that lead to Rafa Varane leaving Real Madrid in the end and going to Manchester United. And I'm looking at that Bayern squad, the makeup of it. You know, Lewandowski, it sounds like he's starting to to look around elsewhere, see what else is available for that one final uh, challenge. Uh, undoubtedly a, a significant payday as well. But, uh, you know, it's to, to me it doesn't seem like the squad has the right makeup to thrive under Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, I think they need it to be more dynamic and that would need rejuvenation. Um, I also have my questions about the all French backline, which I don't think is a strong defense if you're going to be looking to try and win the Champions League. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's by the by. And I think until you can really address whether or not all of those older presences in the squad, like your Lewandowski's, Muller's and, and Neuer's are, you know, going to serve you well uh, moving forward for the next couple of years. Uh, you know, I think the Bayern are going to have a bit of a, an identity crisis to deal with. I think we could make a, a point that this is already starting to happen. We've seen Niklas Zula leave because uh, Bayern wouldn't match his wage demand because I think they're looking at it thinking, we've got to pay Lewandowski. Maybe we've got to pay Muller. We've got to, uh, and the, you know, these, I think, especially when they get into later years of their career, players like Lewandowski will, will not think, okay, you know, now's the time. We see this all the time, don't we, in, in American sport as well. You know, I want to be paid. I want my reward for working hard. You know, by all accounts, he's going to buy and saying, I want three years. Well, I think we maybe saw in the Champions League, as well as he played, you know, that, as he plays throughout the season, that, that it's not unimaginable that the decline will happen quite soon and quite quickly. I mean, JJ, when you're mentioning Thomas Muller, I was thinking, God, he sounds like someone Man United will buy and he would be terrible for them. But you think it's that, <laughs> you know, I think there are a lot of players that are thinking, that are, are cresting and, and moving on. I mean, even players that are actually in their prime, Serge Gnabry, that they've not been able to tie him down to a new contract. I think the, the money and the, the lure of elsewhere it's tough. And, and like you say, JJ, it's what, what more is there to achieve? Obviously it's not just it, it, a relentless string of Bundesligas. And then, you know, you know that you're probably not, you're always going to be expected to do brilliantly in the Champions League, but you might not be able to. I mean, yeah. you always get the sense that some of the reason Nagelsmann does all the mad things he does, like playing Coman and Zane as, as wingbacks, is it anything just to freshen this place up? Well, um, and you can afford to do it in the Bundesliga when you play yeah. bottom teams. You can't do that in the Champions League. You just can't exactly. do it. You can't do it. In your, and, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're being connected to some really intriguing players. Ryan Gravenberch, of course, from Ajax, et cetera. So it should be intriguing to see how they develop. But to both of your points, more needs to be done if you really want to reclaim 
that glory in European competition. I mean, I have I have so much respect for, for the stuff that guys like Neuer have done over the course of their career. But if you mm. watched him over those games against Villarreal and and having seen him as well uh, against PSG last last season, he still makes some fantastic saves. But you know what he was doing for that Coquelin goal that was was disallowed. You know there are some very worrying uh, you know signs that that have started to to show in sort of the last twelve months or so. Uh, and I think it's the the right moment for Bayern to take some really strong decisions. And they they are a club who are capable of doing that. Uh, you know, it's just a question of whether they will actually do it. I mean, maybe they need to keep sort of one of the of of the two German internationals at the at, at the club, sort of you know, to tie in with the identity. But I think that Lewandowski, it, it is now a majorly pressing issue, especially given that it sounds like that Barca interest, you know, is mutual uh, and could be quite serious coming into the summer. I mean, I think he's thinking exactly what you just said. Like, Bayern Munich need to make some changes. I I probably need to be one of those changes and move on myself, specifically as it's a World Cup year, maybe his last as well. You never know. All right, final thoughts, everybody. Let me just uh, recap some other games, and then the boys can chime in if they they can talk about those games or they can add something else. But the topper as well, Ajax against PSV, first against second, Manchester United fans, maybe a chance for you to check out a little bit more of Eric Ten Hag, at least domestically. Uh, there's four points between them, by the way, so it's an intriguing matchup, of course. And in Portugal, Sporting against Benfica. A little bit more from Darwin, Terry Silver, Nunez, uh, seeing what he can do as well. But no any final thoughts? That reference. It's good. You you don't watch movies. I, I, had, I had to. I had to. I had to check. I had to check Twitter for the the to and fro between you and Marcotti to understand it probably. <laughs> yeah, we're old old men just like reminiscing on on some good movies. It's a little embarrassing. But anyway, any final thoughts from all those guys? James Bench, anything that you want do you want to talk about those two? Do you want to mention another no, one perhaps? I don't as ever. Um well, I mean Easter weekend, the the long Easter weekend here in the UK. Yeah, we get two bank holidays off from Friday. Well, I'm not off, but in theory we're off from Friday <laughs> till Monday. It's always a great time. For the championship you know we have depending on which team you have somewhere between five and seven games left now it looks like fulham are running away with it well they are running away with it yeah but they got to face cam archer james bench and preston this weekend well i'm not i wouldn't be too worried about that to be honest <laughs> but then if you look at the playoff picture we kind of have bournemouth are a playoff lock and may well get promoted but then kind of from huddersfield right the way down to millwall that's seven mm. or eight seven teams all in the mix you know, this is the stage where the championship repeatedly hammers the button marked violence and it's great fun. So Absolutely. Two rounds of games in the championship over the Easter weekend, one on Good Friday uh, and one on Easter Monday. Should be great fun. So Fulham, and, Fulham wins and a Forest loss and that's it? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I mean, we did, again, away to Derby they are as well. And Keenan Davis's Nottingham Forest after know, that fantastic see, celebration and but Villa uh, gold all over James Bench. Gold all over. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> I do want to see Nottingham Forest back in the Premier League. I think it'd be that amazing. Be, that, I think that is the dream storyline for neutrals. Is that and they won their last. Well, fight. our Poppy Miller will be very happy if that happens as well. Of course, I don't um, think we'll ever see yeah, it. She'll go straight back to Nottingham, won't she? <laughs> I know exactly, exactly. Anything for you, Jonathan Johnson, that we haven't mentioned. 
Uh, no, man, I think we've touched on it uh, all pretty well. Uh, there, there are some fantastic games in Ligue 1, I have to say, this weekend. The Northern Derby, definitely want to keep an eye on Lille versus Lens, especially now that Lens look like they're getting themselves back in European reckoning. But there's some fantastic games every weekend at this moment in time. Some of the unexpected uh, teams struggling at the foot of the table. Mess Clermont, uh, you know, sounds like an unlikely, uh, uh, you know, fixture to keep an eye on this weekend, but that could have huge ramifications. And Lyon against Bordeaux as well, with Bordeaux struggling against the drops so plenty to, to keep an eye on in Ligue 1 apart from PSG Marseille yeah absolutely not forgetting some MLS as well a little Canadian derby here Montreal against Vancouver as well make sure to check that out but so much action and never stops and weekend previews here for you obviously we got plenty more to come including our weekend recap and a brand new series that begins next week we'll launch that on Monday and we'll let you know and by the way I'm not going to be here for a little bit, uh, so we're going to have the boys take care of the content as always. But Jonathan Johnson, John underscore Le Gossip, make sure you follow all his content on CBS Sports. James Bench as well, CBS Sports Twitter. And don't forget Kegolasso Pod on Twitter, youtube.com forward slash Kegolasso CBS Sports. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the matches, and we will see you next time. Till then.